The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast contains explicit language. Do you just date Indian girls? No, I, I date people of different ethnicities, skin tones. What about you? Is it Indian dudes only? No, no, I'll date anyone. Now I feel special. <laughs> <laughs> but I did uh, date this white guy once, and then I found out later that he dated four Indian girls before me. What? Four? That's fetish territory. That's what I said. But, like, where's the line? Hey, everyone. This is Represent, and I'm your host, Aisha Harris. Welcome back. So... Guess what? One of my favorite shows has finally returned, and that show would be, as you probably figured out from that clip you just heard, Master of None. The show is loosely based on the life and adventures of co-creator Aziz Ansari, who stars as Dev, a millennial actor living in New York City while dating, auditioning, eating lots of food, and connecting with friends and family. It's been two very long years since we last saw Dev, who at the end of season one was recovering from a difficult breakup and decided to move to Italy to learn how to make pasta. You know, as one does when you have a very difficult breakup. But if you're listening to this episode, season two is now available to binge. And so today we bring you a very interesting conversation I had with Alan Yang, the co-creator of Master of None. We discussed everything from food to how he and Ansari addressed some of the criticisms from last season to his memorable Emmy speech from last year. There aren't too many big spoilers here. We don't discuss the finale, for instance. But if you'd rather go into season two with a blank slate, come back to us after you've finished watching the first few episodes. We cover a lot of ground, so let's just jump right into it. Well, I am pleased to be joined in our Brooklyn studios today with Alan Yang, the co-creator of Master of None. Welcome, Alan. Thanks for having me, Aisha. It's uh, it's really awesome to have you on. I just finished binging the entire season, the new season of Master of None, and I kind of loved it. I'm oh, just thank say you that. so much. <laughs> thank you. One sitting? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> it was over a long weekend. Okay. Um, I recommend that. I will recommend one sitting. That's too much. You're not going to enjoy the later ones. Yeah. You're going to get fatigued. <laughs> yeah. It, it was. A, it was a long run. Yeah. I took some breaks here and there, but it was. It was very good. Fun. Well, glad you didn't hate it. We worked on it. We worked on it as hard as we could. We tried to make it good for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can tell. Um, I mean, this season is definitely like bigger i feel like in so many ways aesthetically you know you have aziz going or dev aziz's character going to italy um and you also just have like so many more themes i think that are being explored uh that may not have been explored before so going into season two like what were some of the things you like you you yourself but also you talked about with aziz like what were you hoping like you felt this needs to be in season two. We didn't talk about this. We didn't discuss this enough in season one. Um, we want to do more. Like, what are some of the key things that you felt we need to 
make sure we hit these notes. The number one thing was an overall overarching attitude. And that philosophy was kind of if season one was we didn't want to repeat things that we had seen in other shows and we wanted to come up with something hopefully new and original and unique to our show and, you know, have its own tone, have its own rhythm. Season two, we we talked about not wanting to repeat season one. So, you know, if you were to make an SNL sketch or something of season one, it would have been, you know, something happens to Dev on the street and then he goes and talks about it with his friends at a nice dinner place. And then, you know, he learns a lesson and at the end he's like a little bit more woke or something. I mean, that's like a bad <laughs> version of it, right? But, yeah. you know, we did, we wanted to make sure that wasn't every episode season two. And we do touch on some issues and, 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 and stuff, but we wanted to come up with different ways of attacking the show, different uh, formal constructions. We wanted to make the show more beautiful. We wanted to have more ambition, more scope, more emotional range. Um, we talked about all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Topic-wise, a lot of it was, well, what is a natural extension of season one? Um, what are the natural uh, sort of repercussions of this character going to Italy if we wanted to do that? And we ended up really wanting to do that. We thought that it would uh, shake up the character in a good way and and give him, uh, introduce him to new people and put him in a different setting, number one. And number two, allow us to rip off a lot of classical, uh, classic uh, Italian films, which we did a lot of. <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the Bicycle Thief. Yes, there's the a lot of, episode. there's a lot of, we watched a lot of De Sica, Antonioni, and Fellini mm-hmm. season two as pretentious as that sounds i'm glad we did because uh it would be stupid of us to not do our research and and, and really pay attention because those guys are uh, obviously better than we'll ever be so <laughs> so we did our research um so so topic wise you know some of this stuff uh was uh, uh, um topics we had generally touched on in the writer's room season one but never really explored and a lot of the stuff was 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 new experiences that had uh, had uh, happened to us personally between season one and two so you know we took a little bit of a longer uh, break in between seasons than shows normally do and I think it really paid off I think um the the sort of uh, the break allowed us to 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 marshal ideas that we wouldn't have otherwise come up with if we hadn't gotten you know that extra time. Mm-hmm. What were some of the like personal details? Um, I mean, you've talked before about how Brian, uh, his character Aziz's friend, Deb's friend. I keep wanting to call him Aziz. Well, there ain't <laughs> yeah. that much difference except Deb isn't as successful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Deb ain't selling out Madison Square Garden. Well, but... <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, but Deb's friend uh, in the show, Brian, he's sort of a proxy for you in some ways. You've talked about that and how his experiences, especially with his father and you both being of Taiwanese. Um, descent and the culture clash you have between those two generations. Um, what are some of the experiences, the personal experiences that you brought to this season? Well, there's one that I still haven't told my dad about. I I don't know if you saw that episode, but uh, it's one where he's dating people. Um, yes. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, we just thought, I told my I told I told Aziz about it, and he was like, "What? Your dad's you know dating different people and all this stuff and." Please, Dad, if you're listening to this, it's largely fictionalized. I realize that <laughs> this is not based on your life entirely. But it is a thing, especially, you know, my dad was dating on eHarmony. You know, he was meeting people and and we said to each other, when's the last time you saw the love life of a seven-year-old retired Taiwanese man uh, depicted, uh, you know, when you have you seen his love life depicted in a show? And it was important. It was like, we want to show him kissing a woman. We want to show him hanging out with different people. And like, you know, he's trying... 
he's looking for companionship too. Right. You know, that spark doesn't die just because <laughs> you, you know, you're divorced or you're older or anything like that. You're still looking. And, and, uh, you know, that's the kind of character that is usually used for comic relief. And by the way, Clem Chung does a great job. He's really funny in it, but you know, you really care about him too. <laughs> you know, yeah. you care about his dilemma. So that was a little bit of a, that was a kind of a smaller story that, that we really loved. And, and, and it, we always found it really funny. Like, I think all the actors in that story played it really funny. Yeah, I, I really loved that that storyline, especially because it, it resonated for me as well, because like my dad as well is is dating and he's he's not quite 70, but he's he's older. And yeah, just having those conversations with him about like the different women he's he's. Yeah, it's dated. fascinating. It's like, it's like, it's like well, it's be, weird. Well, it's fascinating. And the yeah. other aspect of it is that we wanted to pick was it's a little bit of a follow up to what happened in the parents episode last year where they're better at talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's an, another art imitates life situation where. You know, my dad does tell me about that stuff a little more than he used to. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, I ask him about the people he's dating and it's not, you know, like, we're not, we're not bros, but he will do it sometimes as opposed to never. Mm-hmm. And so that's really special. That's, we also wanted to sort of touch on the small emotion of when you realize your parents are human and they have foibles and they have emotions and they're making mistakes and they might not, might not be dating the right people. It's, it's, it's like your friends, you know, and, yeah. and you can give them advice and they might not take it and they might be doing silly things in their love life. That's so real. That moment when you realize that is, is, is really, uh, I don't know, I found that emotional too yeah it's 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 always great to like once it's funny how the older you get like the more you could like at least i feel i can share with my my dad and yeah because he also starts to respect you as an adult you know and 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 that's that's an interesting dynamic too i don't know i i I love the i love the father-son stuff i love the stuff with dev and his dad too i mean there's a lot of that stuff this year and and uh, man, that uh, Doctor Ansari cracks me up every time. He's a <laughs> yes. he's a beast on set because he's just making everyone break all the time. It's I can so I funny. can tell he's so delightful to watch. <laughs> Say you are fasting for Ramadan. Don't order any pork. Seriously, you gotta pretend like I'm fasting. Just play along, man. You're an actor. Again, that's a real guy. That to, to me, like. You know, when we were auditioning guys to play that role, you know, real actors, you know, a lot of them were great. But, you know, this is this real specific guy who who immigrated from India and landed in Bennettsville, South Carolina, and learned a lot of his English in Bennettsville and answers his phone. Hey, what's up, man? Like, that's him. <laughs> but he's a, you know, he's a gastroenterologist in his 60s. So so I haven't seen that character on TV. So let's get into his life. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Aziz said some, uh, you know, I, I screened, uh, we screened an episode of, uh, I think one of the early cuts of this episode called Religion, which, um, which was is also really great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Aziz texted me. He's like, "Man, my dad is like the Joker in the Dark Knight. He's just stealing every scene. He gets all the jokes. <laughs> he just like he's just like dominating this episode." I was like, "Yeah, man. It's he's a really easy character to write for." <laughs> yeah. In terms of you know, the show is not. I know you both have talked about like not wanting to get too political in terms of what the show tackles and it does keep this very lighthearted um and optimistic view throughout even when things get bad and uh there's a po- there's a profile of Aziz recently in Vulture um in which he talked about how you guys finished writing the entire show before the election uh so you were filming it or you were like in the middle of filming it while it was happening and he talked about like not you cut one scene in particular uh, where he gets like heckled by a racist on the, on the street. Um, 
can you talk a bit about like what it was like how you wrestled with like the politics and and how much you wanted to to dig into that in this season absolutely because the sand shifted under our feet as we were making the show and as he mentioned in that piece the whole season was written the way our show works is we write all 10 episodes then we shoot all 10 episodes then we edit all 10 episodes it's Mm. very linear and it's purposely designed that way so aziz and i can be involved in every second of every one of those processes right uh so we're in the middle of filming and the Donald Trump thing happens, you know, and yeah. that's it's unexpected. And keep in mind the full ramifications of what he would end up trying to do were not yet clear. But he had already said he wanted to ban all Muslims from entering the country. Right. He had already said he wanted to build a wall, you know, right. on the border to Mexico. He had, he had already said a lot of those things. Mm. Um, and that particular scene, I'll never forget this. It was seared into my brain. So election night happens. Um and, you know, it's very surprising to what, whatever your political opinions are, you probably agree that it was somewhat surprising. It was a shock. Yeah. yeah. And so the next morning, not just purely coincidentally, I believe it was either the first or second scene up the next day at 7 a.m. You know, these call times are very easy, early because you're mm-hmm. trying to get daylight um, is a scene where uh uh, it's a flashback to kind of a post 9-11 era in New York where tensions are running high and, a, you know, a younger dev is crossing the street and a driver says, hurry up, you terrorist to him, because that's a thing that has happened to Aziz and his brother that mm-hmm. that's happened to them in the past because they're they're brown guys. Um, and it's the morning after the Trump thing. He said he wants to ban all Muslims. And I'm directing this episode and. I'm in the position of giving a note to this actor to say, hey, when you say hurry up, terrorist, can you do that angrier? <laughs> like, can you scream hurry up, terrorist louder at Aziz Ansari? Can you just do that for me? And it's just everyone is everyone feels weird. It yeah. just it just feels weird because we have we have just as a nation ushered in an era where it seemed like we were returning to that point in time, if not something much worse and much scarier. I mean, we did. It feels like yes, you know? yeah. yes, and 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 so we had the discussion when 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 Trump happened. Ziz and I sat down. And we're like, do we rewrite this episode because it seemed so present and so scary in some ways? And our show is one of the only shows where the main character, you know, Dev isn't Muslim per se, but he comes from a Muslim family. His parents are Muslim. And, um, you know, not many other shows have that opportunity. And so we started doing research. We we pitched ideas for um, something that would come up uh, uh, in, in the beginning of the episode, some kind of montage or something. Uh, um, Do you remember which episode specifically? Were yeah, playing? it was for the religion one, right? Um, and that's the and, one where he wrestles with like his love of pork. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. There, so, so, um, you know, we talked about it, and I, ta- I reached out to friends at the Daily Show and at uh, at, at uh, John Oliver, and they were like, "Yeah, we'll help you. We'll get, we'll send you clips. We were going to use news footage. We we're going to use footage of Trump, footage of you know people on 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 Fox News people." We were just scrambling. We're kind of scrabbling for the right montage to put at the beginning of this episode, the end, in the middle, somewhere. And then the more we talked about it, the more we decided this episode isn't about axe grinding. 
It's not even really about Islam. It's I know Islam's a part of it. It's not really even about religion, even though that's what the episode is called. At its core, it's more about this guy, Dev, becoming an adult and learning to talk to his parents and them learning to talk to him. And it's about their communication and it's about them seeing him as an adult, as an adult and him seeing their him learning to respect them more and and so that was sort of the real underlying subtext of the entire story. And I'm I'm very, you know, the, that I guess this comes out before the show comes out, so I shouldn't spoil the whole thing. But well, but this this episode will well, be dropping on the day that it comes out. Okay, so well that's okay. fine. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, if you if you want to watch the episode spoiler free, cover your ears for the next 15, 20 seconds. But there's a part of this episode where it's just showing, you know, it was important to us to to show people um to show muslim people worshiping and 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 hanging out mm-hmm. and and not, and not have it immediately be followed by a bombing you know cuz cuz right. i feel like we've seen that a 100 million times mm-hmm. and no like you know, Aziz's dad goes to goes to mosque. His mom goes to mosque, and they're the loveliest people you've ever met, and they're hilarious, mm-hmm. and they're goofballs, and they're serious, and they're funny, and they're stern, and they're wacky, and they're you know, it's just they're, they're it's they're, it's Aziz's parents. They're, yeah. they're his parents. Like that 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 was what we always came back to. And to me, the, the you know the 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 most important part of the episode is how you relate to your parents. But look, I'm not. I'm not under any illusion. I think one of the things people will take away from that is, well, that's a representation of 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 a funny Muslim dad and mom that we just haven't seen that much. You right. Know? I mean, that in itself is what's radical about it, right? Yeah. Is the fact that it exists. Yes. And, you know, as people of color, like, there is there is frequently that, that pressure you feel to always have to be representing. Yeah. And, you know... I I I also wonder. We like to ascribe. I feel like the times we're living in now, every little thing is supposed to be like a reaction to Trump. And yes, it's just it's too much. It's too <laughs> much. Everything. And and think about how club footed and wrong headed that episode would have been if it started or ended with some sort of haranguing against Trump or some anti-Trump sketch or you know that's not what it was about. It was conceived and written. Long before he was elected, it was it's not meant to be a response to him because he frankly, not everything he doesn't deserve everything in in life to be about him. (laughs) That being said, if anyone if some kid in, you know, um, a red state or or some kid who's in a family who voted for Trump and, and, you know, watch happens to for some reason watch that episode and his his or her mind is affected point zero 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 one percent by seeing this episode and seeing this goofy character you know aziz's dad who maybe made him laugh once in season one and sees that he's a normal guy like that's not a bad byproduct that's not like we're not trying to grind that axe but you know that's it's it's part of you know it's part of dr ansari's life it's part of mrs ansari's life and you know we didn't want to shy away from depicting that yeah With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. 
For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. In the first season, there were some criticisms about the fact that Aziz's character mostly dated white women. Mm-hmm. Um, were you surprised by that pushback? And then how did you guys come to, like, deal with that? Uh, nothing written on the internet surprises me at this point. Well, yes. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that number one, yeah, nothing really surprised me. Um, no, we just kind of want to base it on reality, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Aziz and I date people. We've dated people of all races. And I think uh, certainly there's an episode, again, where he's, you know, he he uses an, an app to date. And, and man, like we had a fun time writing that one because yeah. it's hard in a show where there's a limited number of characters. As you just said, wow, this guy has to represent everyone. Or if it's a black woman depicted, she has to depict, she has to represent all black women or an Asian dude. Has to, so... Yeah, in season one, he has one serious girlfriend, and she's a white person. <laughs> so, um, you know, you don't want that to be like, yeah, that's the message we're sending. Um, and we just wanted to be organic to the character and and have it have it come out of number one stuff that we've experienced, and number two, um, something that drives the story in in a compelling way. And for that for that uh, uh, episode called First Date, some of that stuff touches on race because. Frankly, sometimes when I'm on those dates myself, it comes up. So again, right. like season one, we're like, wow, when an Asian guy and an Indian guy and a, and a black woman go out to eat, they're not constantly talking about race, but they are sometimes. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like one out of 15 conversations might be about that. So that we wanted that to be the ratio. And there was a real, to me, there was a, a, you know, a real conversation that I've had and was had in the writer's room repeatedly was that conversation he has with uh, the character played by Condola, Condola Rashad, um, the Diana character from season one, where we had done the research and the people who get responded to the least on these apps by the cold hard facts are black women and Asian men. Right. They just get yeah. responded to the least. And like, that's a real thing. And I would talk about it with my, with my friends and like, Yo, I got to swipe on twice as many people probably <laughs> just just by the odds, you know. Yeah. Um but uh and we thought that was a funny thing for them to bond over. <laughs> but. Yeah, I've I've I have actually had that uh had those conversations that especially the ones about like being fetishized for your ethnicity. That's another thing. That's yeah. just as bad, right? right? Except you get to hook up with a person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and you know, in terms of trying to address that, was there, were there any issues that you wanted to avoid, or like, were you worried about compromising your creativity in addressing these things? Because you you say that like you like this was your life, this was yeah. based on real life. Like, what did you not want to do in in sort of tackling that? You know, we don't really talk about man. What are people going to write about if we do this? Mm-hmm. We just don't like if that ever. If any inkling of that even comes up in the writer's room or when Aziz and I are talking, we we always just say, let's just make the thing we think is is best for the story. Mm-hmm. What's best for the story? What excites us? What what are we passionate about? I think trying to, pred- number one, predict what people are going to write or number two, try to somehow shape your story or finagle some perfect path that will be 
uncriticizable. I know that's not a word, but that I just made it up. Well, we can make up words uh, here. Yeah, but <laughs> but I think I think you get yourself in, you get twisted into knots, and so we just kind of want to do something that feels emotionally true for us. And um, yeah, we're we're not really trying to address uh, any sort of uh, uh, any sort of specific criticism. We just want to try to make something that we really like, mm-hmm. and hopefully, other people will like it too. <laughs> yeah, I know that's an easy answer, but it's true. We just don't talk about that stuff. So, one thing that I do like jumping off of the the women he dates, yeah, but just more generally the women he interacts with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of a continuum of what we saw in the first season where Aziz Dev <laughs> Aziz Dev it's fine uh, I, we get you what you mean no one's confused when you say that right but when Aziz and Dev uh, and Arnold they suddenly discover like what it's like to be a woman walking alone at night and that's in the first season and yeah. this this season you know we get obviously the fetish conversations that the women talk about on, oh, the, on yeah. the date. But it's then, so real. That right. stuff's so real. Yeah. And then also other women, like, this isn't a spoiler, but like talking about like being harassed at work, being, you know, um, hit on, catcalled on the street. Like yeah. they get these moments to just like say these things and say, this is my honest experience. Um, do you recall like in your life when you first realized that this was a thing that women had to deal with and like, what was that like for you to suddenly know, like, be like, oh, wow, women have this very different experience? It's from me. pretty recent. That's the crazy thing, man. That's the crazy thing. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, one of the f- not it, one of the first times was this was pretty recently before season one. And it was partly the inspiration for some of the stuff that happens in the ladies and gentlemen episode season one. But right. Um, my girlfriend at the time was walking home from a bar and she got followed home by a guy and she went inside her apartment and much like in the show, the guy like walked into her apartment, but like, you know, except he actually got in and fortunately she had a giant male roommate who like got him out of there. But she told me that and I was like, wow, that's, and, and that experience weirdly dovetailed with a lot of the stuff that Aziz was doing in his standup. And Again, this stuff spreads like a virus. It's like an inception, you know, where the guy talks about an idea being a virus. Um, we just couldn't stop talking about it. And it's this thing where unless you hear it from your friends or from someone in your sphere, luckily these stories are spreading and, and people are learning about it online or in the news or whatever. But it happened again in our writer's room. We got, you know, we had this writer, Andrew Weinberg, last year who who um, was married and and he was consulting for a couple of weeks. So he came in and he didn't know all the stories. So we pitched this ladies and gentlemen story to him. And he kind of sat there for a second. He said, is that really what it's like? like he, he didn't like we saw a man learn. <laughs> yeah. And he's a hu- he's a big dude. He's like six, three or something. He's a strong dude. I don't think he ever scared. So he came in and Weinberg came in the next day and said, I talked about this with my wife. And she said every time she walks into a parking structure, she she holds her key like a weapon because oh, she's scared. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, Andrew, it's real. It's real. And, wow. and you know, he's a man in his 30s or whatever. And it's it's that's, you know, not not to get too pretentious about it. But that is one of the hopefully subtler themes in the show is like, man, 
you don't know what other people's lives are like. Mm-hmm. Everyone is the star of their own show, the protagonist of their own story, and you don't know what their life is like. So don't tell them what their life is like. You know, like that's yeah. just that you just don't know. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. I mean that that actually ends up recurring in a few other episodes. That idea, but, um, uh, yeah. That you know. I'm and I'm, I'm by no means completely educated about everyone's life. I'm still learning every day. Of course, there's you have to have a humility about your knowledge of other people's lives. It just makes no sense for you to to proclaim your reality to be the one and only reality because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I can't believe that was so recent. <laughs> oh man, I mean, like it. But, I mean, I can't you know, actually. It's, 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 a, it's a matter of yeah. degree. Too right. It's a matter of degree where intellectually, as a man, you're probably like, oh yeah, that makes sense because there's everyone. You, you know, women are generally smaller. They're generally, you know, men are horrible, violent people who uh, you know account for almost all the violence in the world. Um, but I think the specific examples of the degree and the way every Maybe not every woman, but most of the women we've talked to about this in person have given us some version of that story. Mm. And so it's a it's a matter of degree and it's a matter of prevalence and it's a matter of the universality of that fear and that difference in that walk home. Because, um, you know, and and I'm glad that people are more aware of it now. I'm glad. I mean, I think I think it's uh, I think it's important. Yeah. I want to move on to something a little lighter. (laughs) Um, How could it be possibly serious. lighter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know if you're as big of a foodie as Aziz is. I'm arguably worse. No, we're both terrible. You know, it, it's yeah. it's it's crippling. <laughs> I mean, like if you want to know the amount of time I waste reading food blogs, like it's it's I could have written ten more shows and fifteen more movies. Because it's just, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on the way you look at it, I have a group of friends in New York who are as obsessed as I am. So every time a new place opens, we talk about if we want to go. We debate, like... Who has the best mapo tofu in New York? We debate, you know, like which, you know, where, where, what, where, what place has the best cacio e pepe? You know, it's, it's out of control, and you know, it's a very, very fortunate place to be because last time I lived in New York, I didn't eat out at all because I didn't have the funds. Mm-hmm. But now I have like <laughs> enough disposable income to go out to eat. Like that's all I want to do, and we, we, you know. It's part. It's to me. It's one of the joys of my life, and and it's a it's a place where you can talk to your friends, and it's a it's a fun topic. And at this point, you know, I've become friends with all these chefs, and I still don't know how to cook, but it's just such a fun thing, man. <laughs> and that's that's one of the ways Aziz and I bonded before we even started working on this show. Is we'd go we'd go eat at places in, in L.A. when we were working on Parks and Rec, and and I'd be like, Hey, have you been here? Have you been here? It's and it was that kind of thing, and. You know, it's a relatively harmless, I can't even call it a hobby because you don't really gain any sort of skill. You're just eating. Everyone can eat. But, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, you, you, get, you get interested and, you know, maybe you learn a little bit of stuff. And when you go travel, you know, to me, it's an integral part of travel, too. Yeah, for and, sure. And, you know, every time, as anyone who has ever traveled with me knows, I will do an exhaustive amount of research or depend on other people's research and recommendations and just try to go to all of the most delicious spots and however many meals I have, I cannot waste one. I'm not going to eat room service. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to waste a meal. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to maximize and just 
do it. Really, the research is the crippling. It's it's. I mean, we did it, did it a little bit in season one, but it's the amount of time on like review websites and stuff is ridiculous. I was gonna say season two is like. There's, I, I feel like there's so much more food happening. More? Oh my god! Like, well, it's it's you know I I haven't. It's been a while since I've like watched all. of There's season a lot again, in season but, one, but there is like I feel like every every like plot <laughs> moment has like food somehow involved. Now, do you like pl- like how do you plan a scene around food, or do you plan scenes? We around try food? to we try to take it out, man. We we know there's too much, so like <laughs> no, but like... but I actually really enjoy it. I well, really okay, like... so there's two schools of thought on this, and yeah. and I've kind of been won over. So season one, uh, there was a little bit of a concern that like. You know, not only are a lot of scenes in restaurants, you know, here's that that's like that's them, that's least. natural because yeah. that's where you talk to your friends or you go on dates, right? Okay, so that you can't really avoid to me. That's that's fine. Then we started getting into a thing where even jokes that were not didn't have to be food related. We kept pitching food stuff. I don't know what because I think we think about it a lot. So there's a lot of food jokes. I'm like, we need a so so every time a food thing got pitched. I would say, is there any way we can make this not food? Because there's so much, there's a food, there's a tonnage, like a tonnage is a term where like it's too much. Is yes. a tonnage <laughs> issue of too much food. And then this season, I think we are all just like, whatever, these characters like food. So, so they're just going to talk about it a lot. I they're can gonna, tell. They're going to talk about it as much as like we actually like, by the way, Eric Wareheim, who plays Arnold, is just as insane as we are. Like he <laughs> might be the most insane. So, yeah. so, you know, we're literally traveling. We're making pilgrimages to restaurants. We're trying to like... You know, he has his own he makes his own wine at this point. I mean, it's it's a look, we are we we're gross epicures. We like to go eat. You know, we did a we did a pilot called Food Club years ago. Look, mm-hmm. we we've liked food for a long time. <laughs> for people who like food, you're gonna enjoy that aspect of the season. If you don't care, I think you can get by. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorite episodes and one of Verilyn's favorite episodes too, we were just talking about it, uh, was the Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. And, and that, like, one of my favorites too. And that's like a that's a first of all, you were clearly not running away from the food because it's just like scene <laughs> after scene after scene of of dinners from the the early nineties. We cut some of it out. But it's great because like we get to see Denise played by Lena Waith, um and and their relationship, Dev, of like growing up, like her coming out to him and then coming out to her mother, played by Angela Bassett, who like is ageless and amazing. Um I just had to throw that in there because she's just amazing. I mean and also just a delight, just uh, you know, man, we you know, you know, we didn't make any other calls. You know, we were like, well, if we can get Angela Bassett, we're getting Angela Bassett. She said yes. We couldn't believe it. And uh, I, I've never that that's just an affecting, you know, to me. Uh, yeah, we're we're very proud of that one. We, we we it's it's a very personal episode, and that's one of the examples of okay. In this one, we're we're mining Lena's life. Yeah, you know, and Lena came into the writers' room, and we said, just tell us everything. Tell us all the details. Tell us, you know, what, uh, you know, what, who, who, who were the visitors to your house? What was your mom like? What kind of car did she drive? You know, what was your aunt like? What was your grandma like? She lived in a house of all black women. She basically said, I grew up in a house that was all black women. And a lot of the details are just so, 
so accurate. We, our production designer worked with Lena. Lena and Z's, you know, crafted that script. You know, we pitched, she pitched us all these scenes and then we sort of tried to cobble them together into some sort of structure that made sense. And then we came upon the idea of what if this took place over the course of 30 years? You know, that, yeah. that, and that idea was, you know, sometimes you hit on that structural sort of idea that is the, 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 the key to everything. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was so watching Lena act across from Angela Bassett, you know, in that diner. I, I'll, I you know, I'll never forget that. I was, I was just really, really happy for for Lena, and 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 she crushes it in that scene. But I'm just glad you're in college and you ain't pregnant and on drugs. Well, you ain't gonna worry about me getting pregnant. Why? You got that UID thing? Okay, first of all, it's not a UID. Okay, it's not a thing. It's an IUD. Oh. But you ain't got to worry about me and pregnancy. You got saved. You done come to the Lord. No. I don't know why you keep asking me that. I'm not going to get pregnant because I don't like having sex with men. And and Lena was a person who who had never acted before our show. And yeah. and she we met with her uh, and she was a writer on Bones and and uh, we're like man this... no she wrote for Bones yes yeah. and she and she, and and she yeah. had all you know she Lena's a hustler too though she yeah. was writing a million other things produce producing other stuff um you know I don't know who works the hardest between Aziz Lena Eric like you know everyone's hustling Kelvin like they're all they're all hustling Noel I mean they're all hustling and uh, um yeah watching her just be able to do that and and really get you know get all sorts of levels um you know be restrained and be emotional the next take and um that 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 was a that was a great experience and Melina Matsukas directed that one she did a great job and she knows you know more more about visual flair than i think you know all of us combined. She, I mean, she, she directed a bunch of Beyonce stuff. So <laughs> she she has a, she has a real. That was the other thing where it's like, man, we, uh, we we got the right person to direct that episode, and 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 uh, and we all. We the other thing was we all got along really well too. You mm-hmm. know, it was it was like, yeah, it was such a fun video village uh, that those couple of weeks when we were shooting that one. Um, and and Kim and Vanita were were great, and, and and that's Kim Whitley. Kim Whitley, Vanita Evans, yes. yeah, Kim Whitley. Vanita. So they they play the they play Aunt Joyce and and, and Grandma Ernestine. Yeah, Kim, and, Whit- uh, <laughs> Kim Whitley pops up in everything. Yes. Like she's she's one of those like working hard hustle. Like she just pops up in lots of stuff. Yeah, I love her. man, yeah. and 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 she's a killer. And by the way, Vanita's a killer in that episode. Like yes, <laughs> we gave her some improv. She was improving. Oh man, we were like man, her- whatever she came up with was always funnier than the jokes we. <laughs> pitching her. Her punchlines are great. Yeah, it's great. Um, Before we wrap up, I did want to sort of harken back to your Emmy speech last year when you and Aziz won for Best Comedy Writing. It was a really powerful, incredible speech. There's 17 million Asian Americans in this country and there's 17 million Italian Americans. They have The Godfather, Goodfellas, Rocky, The Sopranos. We got Long Duck Dog. So we got a long way to go. But I know we can get... Some Italian-Americans were not happy about that. <laughs> um, mainly because, like, 
all the examples you named were were gangsters or Rocky like wasn't related. a gangster. Well, he did deal with a loan shark. <laughs> yeah, okay, but he's a uh, boxer, man. I don't think of that as a gangster movie. True. You're like you're like, hey, that's a great. Ga- you know what a great mob movie is? Rocky. <laughs> no, it's a boxing movie. <laughs> it's true. an underdog story. <laughs> By the way, I could have named a lot of other ones. Too. Oh yeah, <laughs> of, of course, of course. But like, what did Long Duck Dong mean to you as a kid? And like, I know for myself, I. I when I was younger, I tried to find other, um, other people. I mean, I had some good role models on TV. Like I was lucky enough to grow up around like Fresh Prince and all that stuff. But like, I did also have to like cling to other not black characters. Oh yeah. And like, what were some of yours? Yeah. If you did, yeah. No, I mean like, I I wanted to be like Marty McFly or something. You know, mm. Indiana Jones or, or you know later my later in life like Seinfeld or whatever. Right. I mean. There were no Asian Seinfeld, you know? It's like, that guy doesn't exist. He still doesn't really exist. Apologize to all the Asian-American comedians out there trying, trying to be Seinfeld. But I mean, they need that, their, their, their come up. It doesn't exist yet. So, so and it's funny because I did mention Long Duck Dong in the speech. You know, I wasn't personally offended by Long Duck Dong. People weren't beating me up or calling me Long Duck Dong or anything like that. But I just knew that existed, and I knew that I had never seen certainly a main character that looked like me mm-hmm. ever ever I, and I loved watching tv and movies i watched a lot of tv and movies starting from a certain age um and so it was more that just the limited amount you know it, it wasn't even by the way no one ever compared me to long to dung you know people rightfully i think see bruce lee as a hero he's a i mean amazing f- pop culture figure but in some ways, it bothered me even more, and people called me Bruce Lee. Mm. And then when I, when, you know, when Yao Ming got famous and I played pickup basketball, people called me Yao Ming. I'm like, I'm five ten. Oh, Yao God. Ming is seven five. <laughs> like that. That. But that's. Yeah. But it's because of the paucity of 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 examples. Mm. And I get it. We're not fifty percent of the population, but we're five percent. And and you know, if there's four hundred shows on, you know. It shouldn't be exact, but that seems like 20, 25 shows that would have Asian-American leads, you know, mm-hmm. leads. And and it's just starting, right? You know, I, again, like, I can't think of shows. There was that show Selfie that John Cho is the star of and Dr. Ken has his own show now. But it's, it's pretty limited. It's pretty limited, you yeah. know? It, it's, um, it's funny. In our last episode, one of my colleagues uh Kristen Meinzer, she came on and she asked me, we were talking about Asian representation on screen, and she was like, can you name five Asian American actors? Not even just Chinese American. No. But like, can you, and I'm like, you gotta go. it's kind of hard. You gotta go deep. You know, you gotta, you know, you gotta go back to some other guys who were killing it a while ago and and haven't been in shows recently. But yeah, we got, we got, we got Cho and Ken Jeong and, and, and my boy Steve Yoon who got his face caved in on Walking Dead. But yeah, spoiler for Walking Dead from a year ago or whatever. Yeah, I don't watch but, Walking Dead. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah it's, yeah, it's limited. But you know, and, and this is, again, it's, it was a 30-second speech or whatever of which I used 17 seconds of. You know, I, I yeah. left time for Z's even though they didn't let him talk. Um, they, and if I had any more time, I would say, look, I realize – this is a slow process. And by the way, Italian-Americans have been here longer. They've had time to assimilate, to sort of get into Hollywood, to to work their way up and to make these amazing movies. And I'm not saying, you know, 
the population of Italian Americans in the 1970s was dwarfed the population of Asian Americans. I'm just saying, let's let's all let's all allow it to happen if people want to make it happen. And that's that's the second part too, where it's like, hey, parents, like, don't you know, excommunicate your kid if they want to get in the arts. <laughs> well, that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because you did say, like, get them a camera instead of a violin. Uh, yeah, by the way, it's cool to play violin. I played violin. That's fine. Yeah. I, it also, like, it's cool. It's, you want to play classical piano? Great. You want to play violin? Great. So my final question yeah. uh, is, when is the last time you saw yourself on screen and something you weren't a part of already. Wait, what does that mean? So you saw, you felt as if you were represented on oh, screen. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a great question. I'm on a classic film kick. Hmm. So uh, I didn't go to film school. I majored in biology. And um, I took some film classes in college. But what Aziz and I both realized uh, pretty recently, maybe in the last year or so, is when you're watching these classic films now, as opposed to when you're 20 and you're sleeping through them in class, now that we have some modicum of experience making, you know, filmed entertainment and setting up shots and framing shots and talking with your production designer and your cinematographer and and writing these scripts, these movies come alive in a way that you're not expecting. Um, and you are learning way more than you you can, I think, as a kid who knows nothing about that stuff. So that as a preface, um, we kind of have been watching a lot of these uh, classic films. And I watched uh, this movie called The Soft Skin by uh, Francois Truffaut. I watched it yesterday. That's oh, why it's fresh in my mind. Interesting. Um, Some Truffaut. All yes. Right. It's incredibly pretentious for me to, okay. to mention this. But, <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting if you have the patience to to, to, to watch these movies. They're not always as fast-paced as, as newer movies. Um, but I, this was an interesting character, and he's a very flawed character, and, and he's played by this very uh, ordinary-looking actor. And he. what's so funny about it is because it's I don't know the decade, maybe 1960s France. Um, he's a writer, and he writes about Balzac, and he writes about um, Andre Gide, and he writes about you know. He, but he's he's portrayed as like a rock star because he's an intellectual writer in in Paris, mm. and so this character, um, his dilemma is uh, if he's going to cheat on his wife, basically. And I don't have that dilemma because I don't have a wife. I was going to ask that, but okay. <laughs> no, yeah, but so this is this is this. By the way, this is the skill of the writer and director and getting to to identify with this guy because he's a kind of a despicable character. But there's a couple of scenes where, spoiler alert for the soft skin, a little scene Francois Truffaut movie, he he does cheat on his wife, and what happens is this woman awakens this thing in him where he's he starts objectifying other women like you can see it but it's played very subtly it's not played he's not played as someone lascivious or lecherous you see it in his eyes just in and it's played incredibly subtly in just his shots and reverse shots of women someone who just is in front of him in line for a phone booth or someone he interacts with at a restaurant and what i took away from that is you know you're sometimes not conscious of your own desires in that way. And it's, by the way, extends to things beyond, you know, 
sexuality or anything like that. It's this guy had these base desires and he had been suppressing them for so long. And this is a very circuitous way of saying um, in some ways I'm like a repressive guy. Like this is very personal, but like I'm Mm -hmm. in some ways like I, you know, and those, those sort of, um, those instincts are, are still within all of us, you know, and, and, and it's better to be aware of them and, and sort of, talk about them with people is the other thing um so that's a very very circuitous way of saying um i had some moments of identification with this middle-aged balzac writer Mm -hmm. in a truffaut movie from 50 years ago so pretentious but the film nerd in me loves it yeah i mean look i saw it a day ago so it's fresh i saw it on the big screen at the metrograph theater which i highly recommend i love the metrograph apologies to everyone for having to listen to that pretty half-baked di- uh, dissection of that movie. No, but, I uh, loved that. Yeah. I loved that um, that choice. And now mm. I need to go watch it because I haven't seen that one. Dude, it's it's pretty un- it's unheralded. And I think it's, you know, I think Roger Ebert gave it like three stars. He's like, it is okay. I mean, it's, I think, I think what happened is he had these, all these phenomenal hits in a row. You know, he had 400 blows and he had Jules and Jim and, right. and he was this international sensation. He could do nothing wrong. And then he put out the soft skin and people were like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, like, yeah, it's not great. Yeah, and and you watch it now, and it's it's kind of like, it's not it's not perfect. Mm. Um, but you know that guy's so good that it's worth watching. I don't know. You you seem to like movies. You watch it. It's on. It's on Criterion. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much, Alan. It's an absolute pleasure, and yeah, great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for sitting through that whole Truffaut thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm always happy to sit through Truffaut stuff. So. It, it, it was great. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. As always, thank you so much for listening in on us. Thanks to Alan for such a delightful conversation. If you have any thoughts on the new season, please share them with us on our Facebook page, Slate Represent. And one thing we really need you to do right now is go to www.panoply.fm slash podcast slash represent and subscribe to us if you haven't already. Or tell a friend to subscribe to us. Really, just tell a friend, tell lots of friends, tell your mom, sister, aunts, cousins, all that, all your family. Just do it. <laughs> It'll really help us get the word out about the show. And we love having new listeners because you all are very fun and you share your thoughts and it's great. <laughs> Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verilyn Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is chief content officer at Panoply. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. The music you're hearing right now is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time.